Amen. Thank you, Johnny. All right, Psalm 78, as we jump in this morning, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses uh, because we don't have two hours, right? If you looked at Psalm 78 in its entirety, I think there's 72 verses there, second longest psalm in the Psalter behind Psalm 119. Uh, When you guys get to Psalm 119, it'll be interesting to see uh, what you guys do with that. Uh, But we are looking at the first eight verses this morning. I'll kind of set us up why those first eight are really important and why we're kind of centering our conversation this morning around those. I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Where do you invest your time? When you think about this, this past week, and if you were to do an audit on where you spent your time over the last seven days... Where have you spent your time? Where have you invested your time? What, have you, what seeds have you sown? And I think it's important for us, different seasons require different investment, right? If you look back over the course of your life, uh, what you're doing in this current season may or may not be what you've done in the past season. What you're investing in now may not be what you've invested five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Some of you weren't even born. Right, And so it's important to understand the seasons of life. We, uh, in Men's and Women's Connect, we've been looking at uh, the three archetypes that Paul describes to Timothy, that we're to be soldiers, farmers, and athlete, and an athlete. And what's interesting about the idea of a farmer, a farmer is someone who understands the seasons of life and what things need to be planted in those seasons to expect a harvest later on. It's important for us to understand What harvest do we desire? What are we longing for? What are we looking for in the future? What seeds do we need to plant currently? What what return on your investment are you hoping to receive? What harvest are you expecting from your labor? What are you investing in? Now, if I were to look back at the seasons of my life, I think back to college, grad school, I think about my life was a lot of being invested in. That's a good season. We all need to be invested in. We all need a time of being uh, developed, of learning. I was being invested in. There were people who were pouring into my life. And that's a gift to have people like that. And maybe you find yourself in that season. I'm, I'm in a season where I need to be invested in. I need to be taught. I need to learn. I need to be developed. I need to be discipled. That's a great season, right? I, I think about moving into young adulthood. I was investing into my marriage. I was investing into my home, right? I, 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 first time I, I purchased a home. And there's a lot that you're trying to cultivate in a home, Right? You know, we, I think we painted the walls four different colors until we found one we liked. But we were investing. A lot of time was going into investing into a home, investing into marriage, investing into family, investing into a career. Many of us, we stepped out of high school or maybe we stepped out of college and we moved into uh, the job market and there we begin to learn skills and craft skills and we begin to invest in our career and, and hopefully uh, in some way progressing up the corporate ladder, right? We, we want to take on more responsibility. We want to take on more ownership. And then I think about my life now and I'm going, a lot of my life is investing into others. I'm investing into a church. I'm investing into my kids. I'm helping them develop. I'm helping them grow. 
And I think it's a great question for us to ask, what are you investing in? And it's important that we be very intentional about what we're investing in because we can waste a lot of time. We can waste a lot of precious time. Where are you investing? Where are you expecting to see a result on your investment? And today we come to Psalm 78 and Asaph here is going to tell us what is a worthy investment? What should we be investing our time in? Okay? Now, here's what I want to tell you this morning. No matter who you are, no matter how many kids live under your roof, Psalm 78 is written to the church, not a mom and a dad. It's written to a church, to a people, to take responsibility for the next generation. It's important for us to understand, we need to know what is a worthy investment, how we are to invest, and what will be the result of our investment if we're faithful in this. The first point I want to point out to us this morning from this text, taken from verses 1 through 4, the next generation is a worthy investment. The next generation is a worthy investment. Give ear, O my people. Asaph is writing here, he's saying, hey, listen up. Pay careful attention. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Listen, I'm going to open my mouth in a parable. Now, it's not a parable like Jesus's parables, right? What he's going to do from verse 9 to 72 is he's going to tell the history of Israel and he's going to talk about periods of faithfulness and unfaithfulness and, and over and over and over again, talk about how God was gracious in the midst of that. And we need to tell of these things to the next generation. So this is the, the, par- the parable that he's uttering. He says, I will utter in dark sayings from old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. And so Asaph is being faithful in this. He thinks this is a worthy investment. He said, Our fathers, our spiritual fathers have invested this into us. They've told us to pass this on to the next generation. I'm just being faithful to do what I've been told to do. And so I'm going to open my mouth. I need you to listen up and I'm going to explain to you. We're not going to hide them from the children, but I'm going to tell the coming generation what? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We need fathers like this. Now, here's the thing. When we look at the Bible, God calls himself. He could have called himself so many different things. He could have called himself a guide, a sage, a teacher. He uses the word father. He's a father. Many of us have a distorted view of what it means to be a father. But we need fathers. We need Men to teach and guide and shape. We need women to teach and guide and shape. And it's this idea of not necessarily pressing into a gender and going like, hey, we need you to, to, to but we, we need you to teach. We need you to pass on maturity. We need you to pass on the good works that the Lord has done and pass that on to the next generation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Here's the thing. We live in a world today that has many guides. Social media is guiding us. 
News outlets are guiding us. Teachers are guiding us. Universities are guiding us. All these things are guiding us. And we are shaping and, and crafting our life based on it. But we don't have many fathers, many people who are out to invest into the well-being of our souls to see us walk in faithfulness with God for many years to come. We are missing those. And here's what I would say is, while investment may be the primary responsibility of a mom and a dad, as I've already said, we all have the opportunity to be father figures to the next generation. My life is not one that, that has been marked. My dad did not invest these truths into my life. It's not because he didn't love me or didn't care for me or it's his dad didn't invest those things into his life. It hasn't been passed down, but I'm thankful to the Lord that he put men like a Bobby Albert, a Jerry Royal, a Bob McCartney, a Steve Snyder, these men who invested in my life, who said, I'm going to be that father. I'm going to be that guide. My question is, is who are you going to invest in? Who is going to be the people that you're going to help shape? There is a calling to a church in this passage to invest in the next generation. I've used this research before, but David Kinnaman, who writes on Resilient Disciples, says that only 10% of the youth that we see within our church are going to people, be people who walk with Jesus in 10 years. That's startling. When we, when we look at that 10%, we think about our kids' ministry. We think about our student ministry. When we look at that and we go, What's it, are they going to be resilient disciples, people who walk with Jesus, people who are faithful amidst an expanding and, and deepening what he calls a digital Babylon that is discipling our people? Did you know that someone is discipling the next generation? What role are we playing as a church? Someone or something is discipling the next generation. And I believe our desire as a church is to see children grow up to be radically committed followers of Jesus. Now let me speak to the men here for just a moment. There's something in the American narrative that allows men to give their best or give their vision at work but not necessarily to their home team or family. And I want to challenge you in that you have to have a vision for your family. Is there any sense of intentionality, men, for how you're going to lead your home, how you're going to shepherd your home, how you are discipling your home? What is the hope? What are you seeking to invest this week into your home? What is the harvest you're expecting to see in three years, five years, 10 years. If we don't have a vision for our home, it's not going to come to fruition. And so as you think about vision, there's so much of our life that's calling us to the workplace. We give so much vision and energy and, and time and investment into that area of life and we fail when it comes to the home. 
There's a old saying that says, you can count the apples on a tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? I want you to think about that saying for just a moment. And this saying is, is about one of influence. And I want you to think about every single one of you in this room has been given something that you can invest into the next generation. Now, the truth is, is we can go and we can walk back in this room and we can look at these four classrooms and there's probably 50 plus kiddos in those rooms and a dozen more sitting here. And we can count those kids, but we, ne we can't necessarily count the impact that each one of them or the influence that each one of them is going to have on the coming generations. And I'll explain it like this. There's a guy by the name of Edward Kimball, and his name probably doesn't ring a bell for many of us, but he was a Sunday school teacher, okay? This is someone who decided he was going to disciple young boys. And so he signed up. Valley Kids put out an announcement and said, hey, we're looking for some, some kids volunteers to invest in young people. And Edward Kimball said, I'll be one of those guys. I'll, I'll invest in, in young people. And so he decided, hey, put, put me down. And he says he stepped in and he had a group of hyper boys, but his desire was to see each one of them one to the Lord personally. He said he was going to be intentional with every single one of them. Now, if you've ever taught the Bible to young children, you know how challenging it is. You know how shaping it can be. You can totally understand how you come to a place of needing the gospel in the midst of teaching them. You're like, I am so close to sinning right now, right? Like, I need the gospel, and you're teaching the gospel. And there was a young man in his class who didn't seem to understand the gospel. So Edward Kimball went to the store where he was stocking shelves, and he confronted him in the stock room about the importance of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he saw that man, that young boy, give his life to the Lord. And that young boy was Dwight Moody. Okay? Now, if you know anything about Dwight Moody, Dwight Moody touched two continents for God. Right? The impact that Dwight Moody had on the world and the, and the, the multitudes that have come to faith in Jesus because of Dwight Moody is astonishing, right? But the story doesn't end there. Under Moody, there was another man who was touched by the name of Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman became a person who preached to thousands. And one day while he was preaching, there was, he came across a professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday came to faith under Wilbur Chapman. Billy Sunday was converted. And so Billy Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's team. And Billy Sunday was impacted by the gospel so much, he began to proclaim and preach and ultimately would see a person named Billy Frank. That's how his family called him. And his name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham comes to faith. And if you know anything about Billy Graham... The Evangelistic Association, there have been probably more people won to Christ through the Billy Graham Association and Billy Graham himself than anyone else on the face of the planet. We look at the influence. It started with someone investing 
as a Sunday school teacher. We have no idea the impact we may have. Now, here's the thing. Is there a Billy Graham back here in one of these classrooms? I don't know. But what if the only outcome was, verse 8, they were faithful to God. That every single one of these 50 kids that are in our ministry, they walked in faithfulness to God. It's worth it. It's a worthy investment. We must tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. There's some graphs. You may not be able to read them. They're super small, but throw up those graphs for me. What's interesting here, this is the priorities ranked among Gen Z and millennials, okay? If I can just show you at the very top of this is finish my education, start a career, become financially independent, follow my dreams, enjoy life before you have the responsibilities of being an adult, all right? Now, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't speak about any of this of great value or importance, okay? But yet we, as adults, tend to invest a lot of our time investing in these things, Oh, we got to make those grades. We got we to stay involved. We got to keep on that sports team. Here's the deal. I know I'm, I'm caught up in this myself, right? It's easy to get caught up in these things. But way down on the list, 16%, only 16% desire to be more mature spiritually. Now, I wonder if the reason why they're desiring only 16% is because that's what's being modeled by their spiritual fathers, do we desire as a people to be more mature spiritually? The next graph, in case you're, you're thinking, what difference does it make? If I'm not a mom or dad, what, what difference does it make? Can I really have any impact? Well, here, grandparents, that's the orange, all right? The friend, like you, you look in all of this and people all around. It doesn't have to be a mom or dad. It's a friend. It's a sibling. It's a brother or sister. It's you have an opportunity to invest. You have an opportunity to impact someone's life and it's a worthy investment. So how do we invest? How do we invest? We should invest in the next generation by teaching them to know God, hope in God, and obey God. Five through seven. Psalm 78, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Know, hope, keep. How in the world... Are they going to know, hope, and keep the commandments and values if we don't teach them? John Tyson says this, if you don't impart your values to your son, the culture will impart its values to their son in your place. That'll happen. The world, the culture, what's the culture? The values that the culture is teaching us. The culture is telling us, Life should be easy, you're important, your life is all about you, you should try to control everything and you can live forever. 
You know what we should be teaching? Life is hard. You're not important. Your life is not about you. You're not in control. And one day you're going to die. That's the truth. And the reason why we're seeing a culture led astray is because no one is imparting these values. We have to teach. We have to teach. And where do I begin? How do I invest in this? Well, it begins with you personally having a love for God. With you personally having a love for God. You've heard us say this all the time. Saturation, gospel saturation begins with you. Do you have a desire to be more mature spiritually? Do you have a desire to grow? See, what's, what's interesting is in this passage, like I'm, I'm, I'm big pro student ministry, kids ministry, okay? But here's the thing. Asaph didn't say, hey, the generation to come doesn't know the truth and their fathers have led them astray. So what do we need to do? You need to go start student ministries and kids ministries, That's not what he said. He's saying adults, those who are more mature, need to teach the next generation. Student ministries would would be non-existent if the church was faithful to do this. True. Student ministries are helpful. Kids ministries are helpful in the place because We live in a culture, we live in a world where these things are not being passed down generation to generation. Praise be to God that someone like myself that didn't grow up in a home where these values were taught, that I was able to step into an environment where other men invested in me. What a gift. But what if we were already doing that, not in some organized structure as a church, but what if we were doing that? We were investing, we were seeking out, we were looking for the next generation to invest in. It begins with a love for God personally. I believe if we took this psalm seriously, there would never be an absence of adults in our kids' ministry where they're asking for people. People would be jumping to look, how can I step in? How can I be a part of that? If we took this psalm seriously, we would be invested there. The best opportunity we have to see the next generation worship and love Jesus is not through a program in our church, but through watching and modeling adults who love, fear, and worship God passionately. Second thing is this. The home is the primary place of discipleship, and the church is to be supplemental. Okay? You've heard us teach that. Home is primary. It doesn't have to be the only place. And so we as a church, we supplement that, right? Some, ch- some families don't have believing parents. Some are single parent homes and they're so stressed and overworked, they need all the help they can get. We wanna come alongside them. There's a whole range of competencies and moms and dads that may need supplementing. We, need, we wanna come alongside mom and dads. Even in the best home, teaching will, that, that we're able to provide will reinforce some things that are being taught in the home. Third thing is this, we have a responsibility to teach the next generation in all of life. John Piper, to quote him, says, 
dry, unemotional, indifferent teaching about God, whether at home or at church, is a half-truth at best. It says one thing about God and portrays another thing. It is inconsistent. It says that God is great, but teaches as if God is not great. How are we modeling as adults that God is great? How are we modeling as adults the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done? How are we illustrating to the next generation that we truly believe that? The fourth thing is this. We have a responsibility to point to God as the ultimate father. Here's the thing. This this passage as fathers, like not to to remove maybe a sense of, of calling, but I do want to remove a sense of shame and guilt from us. Jesus is not shaming us and going, hey, you've been a terrible father. You've been a terrible spiritual leader. You've been a terrible, in in many ways, we fail. And my job, my job as a dad is to come to my kids and ask for repentance and be able to say, you know what? Dad's failed and I'll continue to fail you. But let me point you to the one who never will. He'll never fail you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never, he will keep his promises. He is faithful and true. And he is stronger than, than, I'm, than, than I, anything I can ever do. He is more wise. He's the one you should put your trust in. And that's what we have the responsibility to do. Not to be the perfect, all-encompassing, that we are the people that, that are going to, we, we work And we trust in the Lord and point people to the ultimate father. The result of all of this, okay? The result of all of this is what? Verse eight, that they would not be like their fathers. That they would not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. That's our hope and prayer, right? Our hope and prayer is that the kids in our church, as we invest, as, as, as we teach, as we lead, that they would learn from our mistakes, that they would learn from our failures, that we would be able to teach from a place of going, hey, don't, don't follow me in these, don't follow these footsteps. There, there's a sense of going, we... Do not be like your father. Do not become a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast. Whose spirit was not faithful to God. The result is, is we want to see the next generation walk in faithfulness. Walk in faithfulness. Here's what I would say. This doesn't happen by accident. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God, this, this doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional. We have to have a plan for how we're going to see this built amongst us. Have you ever seen uh, an artist rendering of, of a building that's not yet been built? 
Obviously, someone had a, a vision in mind for that building, right? There were plans, and someone said, hey, here's, here's the plan to follow. Here's what the end product would look like when it was completed. They gave careful consideration to all the details that went into that, and they're like, this is what we want to see built. Do we have that type of vision as Church of the Valley for the next generation? What if our church centered around the fact that we're here to help raise up the next generation in Christ? What if that was our mission statement? It would be a worthy mission to see the next generation walk in faithfulness to God. Several of the historical giants of the faith uh, spoke to the role of the church and children. Uh, Jonathan Edwards is probably one of the most famous that and gave some of the clearest uh, conversation on the role of the church investing into children. Um, in fact, he, he says, Edward, it says, Edwards blasts the men for not being involved enough in overseeing the role of children in their churches. He clearly stated that the church has a direct responsibility for all persons of the church, including the children. His specific charge is in dealing with the administration of the ordinances of the church and their neglect, but it's interesting that the children are mentioned as being under the authority of the church and the pastor. Here's what he said. Are you not guilty of allowing yourselves in sin and neglecting to do your, your part towards children in our churches? All persons that are in the church and the children of the church are under the watch of the church. And it is one of those duties to which we're bound by covenant, which we either actually or virtually make in uniting ourselves to a particular church that we will watch over our brethren and do our part to uphold the ordinances of God and their purity. He goes on to say, um, whether you do not live in sin by living in the neglect of instructing children, do not wholly neglect the duty of instructing your children. Or if you do not wholly neglect it, yet you do not afford them so little instruction, are you not so unsteady and do you not take so little pains in it that you live in sinful neglect? You cannot, do not take pains in any measure proportionate to the importance of the matter. You cannot but own that it is a matter of vast importance that your children be fitted for death and saved from hell and that all possible care be taken that it be done speedily. For you know not how soon your children may die. And as you, are you careful about the welfare of their souls as their bodies? Do you labor as much that they may have eternal life as you do to provide estates for them to live in in this world? And so you see, he doesn't hold back. He really engages and go on like, we need to, to be after the next generation. The goal of producing godly, faithful young people is within our reach as a church. Are we invested? Are we invested? As I read through the remainder of this passage and kind of in closing this morning, um, there's a few verses that I want to highlight. And I think in, in all of this, this is a way to kind of 
to, to bring it to a place of going, where, where are we putting our hope and trust in in the midst of all of this? We read verse eight, that they should not be like their fathers. That's us, the generation that's come. We've walked in unfaithfulness. Um, even though we've seen the faithfulness of God in verse 32, it says, in spite of all this, they still sin. The truth is, you and I, in spite of seeing all the glorious deeds and works that the Lord has done, we've still sinned. We've still walked in unfaithfulness. Verse 32. But how did he respond? Verse 38. Yet he being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. Praise be to God, right? But in verse 42, it says, they did not remember his power. And we just continue to see the sweeping difference between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And we see over and over the miraculous works of God and the sinfulness of man. And Jesus comes in the midst of that massive gap and brings us to the Lord. Atones for our sins, atones for our unfaithfulness so that we will go and proclaim and tell the next generation. This is a call to a whole church. There is a generation arising in our midst. And as one writer says, there is a world and a Satan out there attempting to draw them away. How will they be kept? It's only by God's grace. In the same way that we see God working through the Israelites, it's only by God's grace. But grace never means carelessness on our part. On our part, they will be kept by diligent teaching, by diligent investment, and God will use that to continue to preserve his covenant. So may God give us the will and the strength in church and in home to instruct the next generation. I'm gonna pray together and I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. Father, as we sing this morning, as we declare these truths this morning, May we be reminded of the great works and deeds that you have done in our midst. And will we be people that proclaim that to the generation that's coming behind us? May it not end with us. Lord, we come to you this morning, not as people who have walked in complete faithfulness, but as people who have trusted in the blood of Jesus. People who have seen the great works that you've done for us on the cross, that you went to the cross, you lived a perfect life, you died in our place, you took on our sin and you were buried and three days later you rose again and you called us to come and trust in you. And when we trust in you, the blood of Jesus covers over our sins and we're made right with God. And so Lord, this morning, would you just remind us that we have a father, a father who loves us, 
that desires to be with us? And Lord, would you remind us this morning that we're to be those spiritual fathers to the next generation? Give us a a holy discontent in our life that we can't sit idly by without investing in the next generation. Lord, would we take it upon ourselves this morning that we have something to teach, that we have something to do, and that we would see that this is a worthy investment. Lord, thank you that you give us a mission to live for, something purposeful to do, something that will account that will count for all of eternity. Lord, use us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.